Classical Rebellion. Classical Rebellion. Classical Rebellion. So Shostakovich is number seven. Yeah, we're here to talk about Shostakovich tonight. It's hilarious. One of the <laughs> one of the most entertaining, lighthearted pieces of music ever. Oh yes, yeah. yeah, known for his comedy. Uh, his, <laughs> yes. his comedy soundtracks. Yeah, biting sense of humor. Yeah. The comedic timing in the Shostakovich. I mean, seven. the whole Soviet Union experience from 1917 to you know 1991 was known for its for its lightheartedness. Comedy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's. Um, I, I had intended to use a prop actually for this oh, evening's really? talk because uh, I I was born in 1963, well into the LP era, and but. Uh, 78 RPM records, I mean, had been such a popular form of home entertainment through the 19-teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, up until the time that, you know, they they just disappeared and went to, went to you know, vinyl records mm -hmm. almost overnight, yeah. within a year or two. And um, that there was still, I mean, they're still out there. I mean, every thrift shop you go in is going to have some 78s in it, probably. Right. And, and so... I would buy these things because I, I grew up around them at home too. We had from my grandparents and things, and I would listen to them and enjoy Glenn Miller stuff oh, from yeah, the nineteen twenties. Mm -hmm. And so, I would also buy some of the less usual classical seventy-eight sets and listen to them. And one of the more unusual sets that I had, and which I thought I still had, it may still be around here somewhere, but I can't find it, is uh, the Shostakovich Ninth, recorded by Serge Gusevitsky. Um, which is the third in the three symphony cycle that starts with the seventh, eighth, and ninth, the three war symphonies. Okay. The seventh uh, is the, the the first and here most probably most the the the, the most originally heroic um, of the three because the the eighth was social realism written to please Stalin and the ninth did not please Stalin at all because it is imbued with a character of somewhat cynical ennui and perceptible emptiness of the number of people that were killed in this conflict mm. and not just by the by the, the Nazis because the Russians killed plenty of their own people in right. that conflict and before it. And you, you get a very, um, you know, it's very perceptible that, that Shostakovich is talking about, the, you know, it's a, it's a two-edged sword. Um, where uh, he says in a, in a broadcast, um, the fourth movement is dedicated to our country. It is an Im uh, immediate continuation of the second and third movements, their logical outcome. It is the victory of right, of light over darkness, wisdom over frenzy, lofty humanism over monstrous tyranny. Hmm. Now, there has never been on the face of this earth a more monstrous tyrant than Joseph Stalin. Correct. But that's one of the reasons, you know, statements like that are what got Shostakovich in trouble with Stalin in the well. So, you know, you have to take these symphonies as a two-edged sword. It right. cuts both ways. And that's one of the reasons why Shostakovich is the, I think, the most heroic of the 20th century Soviet composers. Um, mm -hmm. It's a miracle that he outlasted Stalin. I mean, Prokofiev died on the same day as Stalin, within hours. Did he really? Yeah, kind huh. of, kind of hard to hard to think that that might not, not have been by design too. But we'll leave that as be that as it may. Um, but uh, 
Shostakovich outlasted Stalin but continued to be pressurized by the, the Soviet regime, but he wrote music of biting insight and occasional sarcasm that is, even in the midst of the war, you have to think there's an element of social criticism going on there, mm -hmm. as well as social realism, yeah. but social criticism too. So this... Yeah, well, there's evidence that it was not about Hitler, the, the seventh, in that it was commissioned before Russia was in the war. And apparently yeah. Shostakovich never took a commission that he didn't already have something working on. So there's uh, one school of thought that does well, say that... The he seventh, was already working on it when yeah. the Nazis invaded. Yes, that the seventh was more about... Stalin's tyranny initially. Well, when, when, then, and then, so it was. It was it, yeah, no, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. I don't doubt that at all. But I mean, he, 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 it would never have been said in those terms. Right. But Shostakovich's wit as a composer, when he blurs his harmonies, you know, he Prokofiev is always sardonic. Um, <laughs> that is his his stock in trade. It is his nature. Mm -hmm. Shostakovich is not always sardonic. And when he gets sardonic, he's definitely making a point. He's he blurs like in the opening. Wait, he's always sardonic, or is not? No, he's not always sardonic. And okay. when he gets sardonic, he's making a very pointed reference to a dystopian mm -hmm. element that okay. he's commenting on. Right. And like for instance, in the he says that the first movement is about his about the people living their normal lives, normal lives under Stalinist dictatorship. Right. That right there is a non is you know a non-starter, but so living their normal lives, and yet as he he makes these these you know, sort of giant step-like intervals in the opening statements of the thing, and as he starts to develop it, he he introduces seconds in in the harmony, so things go out of focus a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. there's something not quite lining right. up here. You know, it's as normal as a, a, the a monstrous tyranny normality can get. Right. So, you know, this is this is Shostakovich commenting on the state of normality. And then it goes from bad to worse. Right. You know, and then but I mean, gen, I think there's there is genu genuinely something heroic about the fourth movement. It's the march towards, you know, their determination. Mm -hmm. um, the perhaps what he hoped was going to be the, a, a coming freedom, you know, a building towards a coming freedom that right. then in the Ninth Symphony we see just didn't happen. didn't happen because you see in the ninth you have it's very small forces it's a smaller orchestra it it it, it is the sound of children playing on the on, uh, beyond a bill you know in places you can't see beyond building because the foreground is completely bombed out mm -hmm. you know by both sides yeah and so it's um it's the the seventh is an amazing symphony and Toscanini and Stokowski fought over who was going to get to give it and yes the the American side of propaganda really got a hold of this piece of music oh yeah and really for I mean you got Shostakovich in his fireman's hat on the cover of Time magazine on the roof of the Leningrad yes. Conservatory yeah putting out fires from the bombing well I was just listening to the commentary actually um, uh, at the beginning I I, I I never heard that symphony until the Toscanini recording was first released on CD. And I, I listened to it, but it didn't include the commentary. So in the introductory remarks, the chairman of the American Soviet War Relief Fund, um, some Bostonian with a very drawling accent like this, <laughs> and some, says one would like to think that perhaps... Uh, uh, 
one of our bandages might have been used to bandage the burned finger of a fire watchman on the roof of the Leningrad Conservatory, one Dmitry Shostakovich. You know, and so, right. I mean, they're pumping it for all they're yeah. worth. Yeah. We've got to make up with Uncle Joe because got to yeah. got to knock down Uncle Adolf. And, you know, um, composers in the United States didn't all have a good response to that either. No, I guess Rachmaninoff, who famously said after he heard it, something like, well, let's go have some tea. <laughs> like, you know, well, that would have been going to, to, to the Russian tea room outside <laughs> Carnegie yeah. Hall. So. Yeah. Or Herminsky is one of the two. But um, no, that's that's very interesting. But the it's not Milton Babbitt. It has structure. Yeah. It has rhetoric. Mm-hmm. It has the, the, you know, the imaginative contrapuntal development of a genuine symphonic work of magnitude. Okay. And uh, it's interesting also on that recording, they announced that the, the NBC Symphony Orchestra is augmented tonight to the size of 112 musicians. All right. Normally, I think it was more or less 90 players, you know, so they've mm-hmm. added like 20 some players. Um, and what we're going, I believe, to see tomorrow night yeah, we'll to hear right is an augmented that. orchestra yeah. right along in those lines. Yeah. It possibly bigger. I mean, yeah. so. Yeah. What I wanted to maybe talk about with this is when the program breaks down. So the program is, you know, this is a resistance to Hitler. Resistance to fascism, symphony, political statement, and that's the program. But then it turns out maybe it's not about Hitler. It's it's maybe more about Stalin. And so the the story starts to break down, which is why I never really put much credence in the program. I think it's infinitely interesting the context of the piece of music. But when I'm listening, actually tomorrow night when I'm listening well, to it, not one thing, not any of that's going to be in my mind. It's no. all going to be internalized into my own. Well, we can listen to it that way now as well, more easily than easily than we could in, you know, previously, mm-hmm. in diff- you know, before the fall of the Soviet Union. You, I think you, it's harder to separate it then than it is now. Uh, but right. But I don't want to keep it, in, that keeps it, the music still at a distance to me personally. And it's just not a practice that I find beneficial for myself. Well, so I'm going to listen more for the, the where, that final movement. Where's the heroism in my own personal context? Where can I step up and be a little more heroic besides just sitting in a chair in a darkened room listening to someone else's heroism? Well, Shostakovich himself also said that he did not intend any kind of programmatic representation of war right he said you know i didn't try to imitate cannons or gunfire or <laughs> anything that's not in there so oh i know shocks well at least not in the first movement not, okay. not with the, the coming of the war you know he didn't he didn't do that i think i think it's perhaps with the the clattering snare drum you know in the fourth movement which just drives right through the whole movement as yeah. it expands is more played by a man who's almost dead they had to go find they, they 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 needed a drummer for the premiere and the conductor went in desperation to the morgue and found him still barely alive but he'd been considered dead the snare really? drum player really? yeah and they got him and he, he he barely made it through because Stalin told him to get up off and that slab that, and get in there that my friends is a trying time yeah we do not live in trying times 
That is, yeah, that is a trying. That is definitely a trial. That's a trying time. When your dictator tells you to get up off the slab of the morgue and get into yeah. the, get back to the orchestra. Now, who was the conductor of the premiere? Do you, do you, was, I can't it, remember. was it Evgeny Bravonsky? I don't think so. I don't. I, or was I, it Shostakovich himself? No. No. I can't remember. I can't remember. Well, we'll put that in the printed review. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, but it's going to be. I, I mean, this is really a a wonderful um, uh, opportunity to hear this work. Right. And yeah. quite frankly, a, and this is not a criticism of the hall. I mean, I love Symphony Hall to death, as everybody knows. But um, uh, a, a 112 or 120 piece orchestra is going to play better in that hall than 85 oh, yeah. pieces. It's going to be present. It's going to be very present. Um, which makes me think, you know, how fun would it be to hear a really large work like the Mahler Eighth or, <laughs> or, or, or Schoenberg's Gura Lieder? Yeah. You know, with a 600-voice choir and, you know, 140 or 150 pieces in the orchestra. Yeah, that would have to be a regional effort. Well, it would, but it, it would, would be one be worth a making. performance in San Diego, one in Orange County. One in L.A. One in L.A., yeah. But it sure would be a worthwhile undertaking. Gura Lida, oh, yeah. if you've never, I mean, we're talking about large-scale orchestral works. Mm -hmm. That is... Uh, as much proof as anyone could ever need of the genius of Arnold Schoenberg, um, I, regardless of how you feel, night does it for me. Regardless of how one feels about his atonalism, because mm -hmm. I feel very strongly about it in the negative. Yeah. But if you can write the write Gura Lieder, okay, go ahead, write whatever you want. Right, I'll, I'll buy it. You know, it, you, you, I may not like it, but I believe you intended what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's part of this whole. I mean, I don't know how far we want to get down this road, but. There was an Oedipal revolt within Viennese society writ large at the time. Right. I mean, that's where you've got the bourgeois, the, you know, the upper class. Everything about their life is false. The letter opener is shaped like a scimitar. You know, nothing actually does the fun. Nothing actually looks like what it's intended to do. So there's a facade on everything. And so you get a architect like Adolf Luce, who is the founder of Form Follows Function. And they start to try to tear the facade away. Right. And you've got Hoffmannsthal, who famously wrote uh, the librettos for Richard Strauss's uh, operas. You've got Freud in that time period. You've got Gustav Klimt in that time period. And Schoenberg is basically saying, we don't even want anything to do with your tonality. Right, like, right, 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 right. <laughs> you make us sick. Everything about... But he sure did a great job on, on Guru Leader. Yeah. I mean, that is a work of genius. Of, yeah. It is absolutely staggering in its uh, inspiration. There's one thing I wanted. So, you're going to back to... There's a temptation to listen to this Shostakovich 7th within the context of our, some might say, slide toward tyranny in our country, which I'm not that alarmist. But I do want to confirm to people that you and I differ quite quite a lot on some of our political views no we don't <laughs> like, like we like there's some things where we differ and we just don't really talk about it because we have so many important things like Shostakovich's seventh that we do agree on and I find it really irritating when people within the arts let politics separate the people within the arts that love the arts it should be People love the arts, 
And then whatever their politics are, let them be. Just leave it alone. I, well, I, what's the guy's name? Looks the, like Prager. Prager. Right? He's He's been a champion of the radio host. Dennis, Donald Dennis Prager. And he's invited to conduct the Santa Monica Symphony as a guest to like as a fundraiser and he's supported classical music in LA for decades and he's he talks about it all the time on his radio show and that orchestra tried the people with players tried to rebel against him based on his politics and I was like no it's this isn't about your politics well you know I was just having a conversation earlier today also about it just to to talk about how politicized pretty much everything has gotten uh, which is really unfortunate because it it dumbs down the the potential for any kind of abstract expression everything has to have a concrete meaning right it's you know it's it's saying this well you know the national geographic i, I was just lamenting the fact that um it has become simply you know a a, a, a political mouthpiece hmm. i know so many people who have, have just let it go i mean where is it now you know it's, yeah, it's I, know. It, I guess we learned really everything about uh you know geography and sort of ethnography that it had to talk about because mm -hmm. now it's just like you know spouting opinion right. and and when you when the, when you translate that over into music and the arts if all of you're doing is, is spouting opinion right. instead of trying to create whether to, to, tonally or abstractly or or aharmonically you know a a music an, an abstract intellectual construct Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's fine to apply. Anyone can apply a program to one another thing and say, well, this is what it's about to me. Well, that's fine that that's what it's about to right. you. But that doesn't necessarily say that that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. And if, when we've lost the the complete, at least in my opinion, it, it, when, we, it, when we've reduced arts to a political, to one political slant, yeah. well, you're on the 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 dying track to because politics changes right. and if the yes, slant do. doesn't change with the politics you know the right. art form is sidelining itself mm -hmm. and that's pretty much where we are right, right now yeah that's pretty much where we are but i just wanted to bring that up that you know even if you well i disagree with you too well that's fine that's fine as long as you're polite about it respectful you can respectfully disagree what happened to that what happened to that no one respectfully disagrees anymore i know and my my well, <laughs> well my best friend is a uh, uh, one of my my oldest friend is a uh, is a diehard canadian socialist i mean uh -huh. i've known him all my life he's okay. one of the most trustworthy friends that that i've got i because he's a diehard I, canadian socialist john i couldn't disagree with him more <laughs> but you know i mean we like hockey. Yeah. yeah. We go to hockey games together. Right. You know, and uh, it's just if, if, you, if you can't find some common ground, I mean, it's, um, you're not trying. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so that would be, that's what I wrote initially about Shostakovich's seventh, is I don't want to hear anything from anyone about we're on the track <laughs> to tyranny again, because even Putin is not the same level. <laughs> there isn't a, there isn't the a big, Stalin in the world today. Yeah. You know? It, I don't know what 
Stalin would have eaten Putin for not even breakfast. He would have just been uh, dunked him in his coffee. Yeah. No, I mean it's uh, we just don't have that kind of thing going on, and it's it's actually quite shocking to look back at the twentieth century and think that it actually happened, Mm -hmm. that it could happen. Yeah. Because uh, because it did happen. Because it did happen, and. no, I mean it's. Um, I, I well, I, I we agree on that. Yeah. I. Um... Yeah. Stay vigilant. Okay. What's that like? <laughs> what? All right. I'm watching. What's yeah. going to happen? Yeah. After as, as noisy as I have been politically, no one has come looking for me. You know, uh, and right. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. If if I had lived in in Russia in the 1930s, oh, yeah, you would have been turned in. If you were, if you, they wouldn't even have had to turn me in. They would have just come and gotten me. Right. Not so. That, yeah, you've been so. What? Not that you would have fallen on the wrong side. I don't know. No, you just can't. You could you not be can't. that politically yeah. expressive. Right. It's going to get you in big trouble. You, you know, people, people kept their mouths shut and well, tried not yeah. to tried not to get arrested and sent to a camp forever, though. Yeah. Forever, forever in the United States, people since the founding of the country, people have been had a political opinion and have expressed it freely. That is the only place in the world where countries found been founded on that and continued in that vein. You couldn't say whatever you wanted in France, even especially during the revolution. Which is why I'm because not... the revolution would go too far past you, and he, <laughs> they chop your head off, even though you were the one chopping heads off. Which, which is why I'm previously. not at the marriage of Figaro tonight, because quite frankly, I'm not interested in the French Revolution. <laughs> I, yeah. I have nothing for that. Yeah, the terror leaves me terrified, and I'm profoundly glad that I didn't live in it. You want to talk about, you know, the 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 precursors to the 20th century, the murders that happened in the French Revolution, you know. They killed eight hundred thousand in the Vendee, mm. you know, just because they were opposing the regime. Right. You know, they disagreed with it. Well, then we're yeah. just going to put you on rafts on out in the English Channel and set you on fire. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing. We, no, we I have we nothing take, for Beaumarchais. We take for for granted the ability to express a political opinion. Mozart could not express a political opinion. He had to do it via his. Well, as you pointed yeah. out, the aria in the third act mm-hmm. um, was changed. Was from, changed from being mad at uh, the aristocracy to being mad at women. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, uh, sure it does. So, no, which is not to say that you know the Marriage of Figaro is not an opera worth doing. It's just mm-hmm. like I would have liked to have had something to follow on from it. You know, at some point, it, it's. In, in the last 200 years. There's no Mozartian successor in that way. I okay. mean, I really don't... I mean, Rossini uh, is fun, mm-hmm. but Mozart is more significant as a musician. Yes. And yeah. uh, I think it's just... It's a drum that has been banged incessantly because it is an incredibly clever piece, yeah. but its political point, I think, is... Somewhat passe. Well, abuse of power is never going to be passe until it stops happening. And so I can see that. Well, it's never going to stop happening entirely. Yeah. But as we were just saying, you know. It's not. It has never happened here 
the way that it ha- has happened right. in 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 Germany, in Russia, <clears throat> and in China. Right. But those things are not happening right and now. And in Italy, and in England, and you know, England not. Well, not on that scale, but yes. But, you know, I mean, the, concentration camps started during the Boer War in South Africa. The British are the ones who invented those things. Yes, there was a difference between a, a concentration camp where you concentrate large numbers right. of people and an extermination camp, yes. which is also what the entire gulag system basically was. Right. Very few people ever actually came back. Oh, no. The fact that Solzhenitsyn <laughs> came back yeah. after doing his tenor, as they used to call it, a 10-year stretch, is, is remarkable. And he almost didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he could easily have just given up. It was right. only you know because he didn't he didn't give up in the face of you know the atrocious uh, abuse. I mean, they were just literally worked to death. Yeah. Well, and Dostoevsky just I mean we're getting off on a tangent here, but <laughs> yeah, we are. He also went to Siberia. It wasn't quite the same, but it was similar, and he came back no longer a humanist, no longer a rational humanist. But saying only a miracle wrought by God will save us because he'd seen who was in those, but he'd seen the level of, I don't know what you want, uh, of humanity. And or he, lack thereof. And he did not see rational humanism making a dent <laughs> in what was happening there. And so he came back a, a devouted. Orthodox. Orthodox, yeah. And he's he still doubted. Obviously, he he expresses his doubts via his characters in his books. Definitely, but you can't. Well, we're sitting in comfy chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was just. But uh, I mean, I guess a way to wrap to wrap that up is mm-hmm. that. Um, Given all of those factors, it also it, it comes back to highlighting something of the personal heroism um, of uh, of Shostakovich yeah. as a as a, a composer of integrity and originality uh, under incredible. I mean, who was it? Was it you that was telling me that that, that um, who has said that that no great art has ever been produced yeah. except for political pressure? You right. know, uh, uh, so the abuse of power. Yeah. frequently results in worthwhile expressions and lasting mm-hmm. monumental expressions of artistic integrity. Right. Well, Shostakovich is a, one of the best examples yeah. of that in the 20th century. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why American art isn't at the same level. Our artists haven't been oppressed politically. Whatever you want to express, express it. There's no one that's ever said no. So if if American classical composers are really looking for you know inspiration, they shouldn't object to the slide towards tyranny so much. That's true. That so would improve. I, it's only for your own good. I'm just saying. It would improve because you can't have it both yeah. ways. I don't know. I'll, yeah. I, I'm I'm content to live off, um, <laughs> off in Europe's, a comfy chair <laughs> in, in my comfy chair and off off Europe's uh, uh, Europe and Asia's um, suffering suffering <laughs> yeah. for the sake of my artistic inspiration. Yeah. But it's a double again, the double edged sword. Mm-hmm. It cuts both ways. Yeah. So uh, I would prefer not to have to live in tyranny, and right. and, and and we don't. 
but I think that um, were it to ever happen, and I, I really hope to hell that it doesn't, um, that's probably when we're going to see the, 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 the rebirth of, um, of classical expression, mm -hmm. you know, a substantial classical expression right. um, out of the crucible of suffering. But kind of like St. Augustine, you know, say, Lord, make me good, but not yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> make me a good composer, but not, not, not yet. yet. Yeah. 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 With, with a lack of adversity, art becomes what it's become. Which is basically... It's expression. It's fawn, an expression. A, a fawning tool of, of a political slant. Yeah. And which eventually debases itself further and further towards simplicity until it becomes banal and anesthetized mm -hmm. and without significance. Yeah. But not my compositions because <laughs> I wrote... No, okay. <laughs> No, I mean, I actually, I did have a performance this weekend, and I'm pleased to say that, I mean, we, I, I was part of a significant church service this weekend, which demanded the presence of some classical, uh, you know, um, art of the Renaissance, the, mm. uh, the, we did the, the Lassus um, uh, Requiem for Five Voices, circa 1680, and when we did this 10 years ago, uh, I wrote a Liberame setting in falso bordone, alternating homophony and chant, or polyphony and chant, and uh, and it got another outing this um, this weekend, and uh, perhaps I struck some small blow for the classical rebellion. Yes, right. right. We're good. I think we're good. We're good. Go to the Shostakovich. Y yes. Enter the crucible of suffering. <laughs>